Harris, the program director at Teen Challenge Sunrise Ranch. And uh, I'll let him, I'll save it and let him tell you a bit more about Teen Challenge specifically. But they work with, with people that are facing and living in addiction, substance abuse, all kinds of things. And they're a gospel-centered ministry that thinks that the redemptive nature of the gospel is what transforms us from the things that take over our lives. And so we're going to hear some stories this morning of rescue and redemption. We're going to hear uh, Don's brother Lauren share the word with us. But make no mistake, these stories are all of our stories. Whether or not you've wrestled with addiction in terms of substance abuse or not, we are all in need of redemption. That every single one of us wrestles with sin and struggle. And so these stories are all of our stories. And so it's an honor to have Lauren come up this morning and share with us and Tell us about Teen Challenge, and then I'll close this out in a little bit and tell you how you can get involved this week. Lord, thank you so much. Praise God. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be here today. We've uh, followed the, the growth of the vine for some time, and uh, you had your grand opening here. We uh, snuck in the back, and anytime I'm in town and uh, not traveling, we travel all the time to uh, centers all over the state as well as uh, services. And... Uh, Anytime I'm in the city and I'm not going to church, I'm going to church here, just sneaking in the back and getting to see what God is doing here. And so it is an honor to be here, to be able to, to share from this place this morning. Teen Challenge is a discipleship training program. Yes, we deal with addiction, but we don't call ourselves a rehab because we believe that the solution to the drug epidemic is curing the sin problem. That if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, the new has come. That scripture is an amazing promise in God's word to us, and, and we take that to heart at Teen Challenge. We honestly believe that the worst of the worst, that the mainline heroin addict, that the crack addict, that those who are so far gone, that if they are in Christ, they can become something completely different, a new creation and that is the philosophy, philosophy behind the Teen Challenge program. We come from Sunrise Ranch, which is the flagship uh, program in the state, the first state, first program in the state. Uh, we're over in the Cache area, which is uh, Lawton Fort Sill area, if you're familiar with Lawton. And uh, that's where we have our center. We have an 80-acre uh, plot of land there, and we have 37 beds right now. We're on the brink of opening a new facility which uh, will boost our numbers to 65 students. And so a number of men constantly coming in, being discipled, being sent out into the world. The ministry was established over 50 years ago by a man named David Wilkerson in New York, a small country preacher who thought that he could fix this problem that New York was having with gang violence and drug addiction. And so he went with a simple faith into the streets of New York and he began to street preach and share the gospel well, from that vision, multiple teen challenges have been planted. There's only two states in, in America that don't have teen challenges. Um, and mo some, some states have multiple teen challenges. Uh, we have seven centers in, in the state of Oklahoma, reaching adolescent boys, adolescent girls, and men and women. And so we're excited to be here today, excited to share what teen challenge is. If you're unfamiliar, um, the, the name can be somewhat deceiving, um, teen challenge where none of us are in our teens anymore. Matter of fact, we have 50-year-old, 60-year-old men that come through the program and we bring them on a service and announce ourselves as teen challenge. It can be a little deceiving. But we are, it is just an honor to be here today sharing what God is doing. I myself am a graduate of teen challenge. I graduated in 1996 from the program. God radically transformed my life. 
and, uh, and changed me. And so we do have a table at the back that your pastor mentioned. On that table, there are a couple things. There is an information card here, and it is really a two-part prayer card. Uh, one side is for you to put your address and information so that we can send you newsletters as to how Teen Challenge is doing. Um, and you can know how to pray for us. We can send you emails so that you can uh, properly pray for us. And on the other side is a place for you to fill out prayer requests so that we know how to properly pray for you. Because we believe that these services aren't just a one-time event once a year that we do, but that it's a relationship in the body of Christ. As we pray for you, you pray for us. And so there's also a little bit of an um, ulterior motive there. If we fill out the most of these, the biggest percentage on our services, we get a free steak dinner. That's... At Sunrise Ranch, so I just got to confess that. We don't eat steak very often, so please help us eat beef and uh, take a card in the back, fill it out. We would appreciate it greatly. If for no other reason than that, then do that for us. We'd appreciate it. Um, also, there is another card there at the back. It is an information card about Teen Challenge. If you have somebody that's interested or you know somebody that needs this program, I'm on the back of this, this sheet here. There is a uh, number for every center, every address for the centers within Oklahoma. We would love to put you in contact with somebody that could help you or help your loved one. Um, and so please, that back table there, see that before the, um, the service is um, done today. And so um, I could talk all day about Teen Challenge. I love the ministry. I eat, sleep, breathe Teen Challenge. Um, and, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring up a... Uh, a living epistle. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about these living epistles that aren't written with ink on paper, but that are written with flesh and blood on the tablets of men's hearts. And so, Mike, why don't you come up? Mike is in a unique place. This is his last service with Teen Challenge. He is graduating and going on, and God has done a, done a wonderful work in his life. Wow. Packed house. Amen. All right. All right, I like to walk around, so if I pace like this, just hang with me. Um, I'm Michael McDaniel. I'm 24 years old. I have two children, uh, two different states, two different mothers. My younger childhood was a broken childhood. My dad had been married five times. My, lo- my mother left me when I was two years old for crack addiction. Uh, moved all over the place. Army brat. Never would have guessed that my addiction would be methamphetamines. Uh, I had went a long ways and forgot about my family and this addiction and didn't care about my kids. Didn't have a life of wondering what God wanted me to do, but raised in church, I was. I was a confused kid because my dad was abusive. Raised in church and with an abusive father, didn't know where I was going to go. Was preached good, but was beat on the side. Life went forth. I finally broke down. After breaking down and calling out to God, my dad had mentioned to me, oh, two years ago, about Teen Challenge. I, I, I argued for a year. Oh, no, ain't happening. Not going, not staying 13 months in a program with a bunch of dudes who don't care about me. And, you know, my dad, every time he got on the phone... He would always bring the word to me. Always bring the word. Never failed. So one day I cried out. I got belligerently drunk out of bowling alley. Couldn't remember what happened the night before. And it kind of made me realize that I was kind of stupid. 
So I cried out, and God said, teen challenge. That was my gut feeling was teen challenge. I just knew he was joking with me. I was like, I ain't doing it. Not doing it. Cried out again. Please, Lord, tell me something different. And he said, teen challenge. So I just knew I, I had to go. So I called my grandma balling. Yeah, you always call grandma when you want to get something done. But uh, I called grandma balling like a little baby. And she's like, what's wrong, Michael? Calm down. I said, I need to change my life. I need to go and get some Jesus in me. She says, what do you mean? I said, I need teen challenge. She says, are you sure, Michael? Because this is a commitment for 13 months. Are you going to hang through? I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it this time. I'll change my life. I won't tell you and then not. So she called my mom. God. She called my mom and my mom calls me hysterical. And now I'm bawling more because now my mom knows what I want to do. So I was like, all right, mom. So what's going on? Am I going to change my life or what? She's like, yeah, I'm picking you up tomorrow. She came and picked me up all the way in northern Kansas where I was doing a job. That very next day, I was on my way down, and two weeks later, I was in a program called Teen Challenge. At my weakest point, I was 115 pounds. I'm 180 now. Both of my kids know me as daddy. And I'm six days from completing this program, and I'm on my way to Fairview, Oklahoma, to sit under a pastor to be ordained within the next three to four years to become a minister as myself. I have radically changed my life, and I want to bring a verse that's something that I never knew until I came to this program. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I didn't have a future before. But when I came to Christ, the plans that he had to me, had for me, was to become a minister, and that was my future. Thank you all. Praise God. You know, we see that side of a testimony quite often, a teen challenge at least. The side from the man's point of view that was rescued. And I believe that there's a scripture, scriptures in God, God's word that show us the other side of that process. The other side of the rescue process. And it, it comes from Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 32. Can we bless the rest of this time together and pray over the word as we... Uh, Go further. Lord, we just love you and we thank you for your word. Your word is eternal. It's enough to change a man's life. It divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow. God, we put your word on a pedestal today, Lord, and we ask that you would challenge us, that you would change us, that you would give us revelation, insight into your character, into your love, your, your overwhelming love for us. Help us to see that. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Luke chapter 15 starts with an all too familiar story of verse 1 there. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to Jesus that is, to hear him. 
And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. All too familiar story in the, in the gospel where Jesus has found his place among sinners. Jesus, friend of sinners. They called him a, a wine-bibber, a glutton, because he made his, his home with these people who were broken. And this is a normal situation here where, where Jesus is confronted with this, with this stubbornness of heart. These people who are confronting Jesus and they're angry within themselves because he receives sinners and he eats with them. These people uh, were not the people that you would invite to an uh, elaborate banquet. Matter of fact, they, they may smell, they may not look correct. Well, this is what I love about my Savior. And I say my Savior because he saved me. Is that he went to those who were rejected by so many. Rejected by the church of that day. And so much that when Jesus began to minister to these individuals, the church of that day became angry bitter inside, questioning his motives, questioning who he was as a person. And then Jesus goes into these three stories here, three parables that we see in God's word to address this situation, the situation of self-righteousness, the situation of, of, of people not reaching out to those who are most in need. You see, this Jewish table that Jesus was partaking in was not the table that we understand in our Western culture. We are traveling to Israel here in three weeks, uh, myself and a group of others, and we're filming on, on uh, site in the Holy Land, looking into culture and, and geography of, of, the wor- of the Word of God. And one of the things that we learned when we were there last time is that the Jewish table of fellowship is not like our table in, a, in the Western culture. Matter of fact, our Western table is, is more like a, a TV tray. The fact that we've created the TV tray, and then we have TV dinners, <laughs> tailor-made for the TV tray and the TV, where we get our meals and we go to our different places and we, we don't fellowship. Maybe some of us do, but I think more often than not that we find ourselves with a, with a device in our hand and multitasking as we eat. And, but the Jewish table of fellowship was the center of their home. It was the center of their community together with one another. And so there's a word that Jesus uses here or the people use here. It says he receives them. Not just he eats with them, he receives them. And what does that mean? It means this, because he was inviting them to that table of fellowship, that he was accepting them as they were. They didn't have to clean up first. They didn't have to make themselves right. They didn't have to confess their sins first. They didn't have to get on the best outfit. They showed up as they were. And this is why the Pharisees were so mad. Well, they're, they're not obeying the Torah. They're not, they're not doing this. They're not doing that. Why are you receiving them? It, it, in a sense, it almost shows that you're accepting them as they are. Exactly. Exactly. And so this Jewish table fellowship was a low-lying table. It was the one just, just off the ground. And the Jewish people, um, even to this day, eat a lot with their hands. 
It was this very, this, this community of family. It wasn't just this, this stranger that was across the table. It was family. You were receiving them. You dip your hand in the, in the, with the unleavened bread and do the hummus and, and the low-lying table. You're just right across from each other. You're somewhat relaxed as you lean back at the table. And we see this later in the Gospels with the disciples around the table, leaning back and re- relaxing and reclining. Because it was this, this center of home, the center of community. In our home, we, we try, we try desperately to meet around the table. It doesn't always happen. I have teenage girls, and uh, that is not in their, uh, their, their favorite thing to do. They would rather go sit at the computer and eat. But we try to sit around the table, and, and how was your day? How was dance class? Well, how was work? Well, how was the cake-making business? It's my wife. And we try to converse and talk back and forth and reestablish this, this, this home community that we see here. Well, Jesus, he addresses these these stubborn, stiff-necked religious individuals with three stories. Now, the first story that we see is of a sheep that had gotten lost. And the sheep is the livelihood of the shepherd. They shear the sheep constantly for wool, something that constantly provides for them. There's great wealth in this sheep. And what I want you to begin to see as we look at these parables is the side of redemption from God's eyes. The things that go on behind the scenes before we were rescued. And here is the sheep, it's lost. He leaves the 99 and he goes for that one sheep. You know, we see this in livestock that there are those stubborn animals, there are the stubborn goats and the stubborn sheep that they're not satisfied with the green pastures that they have been provided. Matter of fact, you always find them at the edge of the, of the pasture, and it may be a cow there where we're from in that side of the state. You see this quite a bit, a cow with his neck through the fence. He's standing in green grass, and yet he he's wants the green grass on the other side of that fence. So much that he contorts his head and leans through and eats on the other side of that fence. Well, Jesus was drawing upon this idea that there's these sheep, there are those stubborn ones that always think there's something better. But it didn't disqualify that sheep from being rescued. Even though he was stubborn, even though he he constantly tests the boundaries and he wandered from his Lord, the shepherd leaves the 99 because he recognizes, where is that stubborn sheep? Where is he? And he leaves to find him. He leaves those who are safe, the 99, and he goes for the one. There's something we see in this passage, church, that, that it is your salvation individually. That he saved me, Lauren Schreffler. He found me where I was. He left it all to find me. And we see this in the gospel story that Jesus, being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. And so we see in his life that he, he left that for us, for me individually. And as the, as the gospel, we should own that individually because we are that one that he went for. There is a debated um, practice um, to this day of, among shepherds, and it is this, that when you find that sheep that continually, continually, continually walks away, the shepherd, and this is the, the debated thing, some agree that they did and some that they didn't, 
but the shepherd would find that sheep, break its legs, put it on his shoulders, and bring it back to the safety. Now, that sounds violent, and it sounds uh, upsetting. Now, whether that is an actual practice of shepherds or not, I know for a fact he did it in my life. When I was lost in addiction, couldn't maintain a life, couldn't keep a job, ate up from the inside out with a serious, serious addiction, that he found me. And the thing is, I wasn't ready to change. I didn't want it. I didn't want nothing to do with it. I wanted to remain in that lifestyle. And that's the beauty of the story is that it, it wasn't my righteousness. It wasn't even my idea. It wasn't searching. I didn't want it. I desperately rejected it. But he got me to a place where I had two options. Prison or discipleship. And to me, it was the breaking of my legs. It was the breaking of my legs and putting me on his shoulders and saying, Lord, there ain't nowhere else to go. And even in that moment, it wasn't some righteous act and deed where I said, I'm going to seek recovery and, and discipleship. No, I didn't want to go to prison. It wasn't some noble thing. I'm not made for prison. Please, anything else. But the beauty is, it is in that process when we are crippled, when we can't function on our own, that we are placed on the shoulders of the shepherd. And in that process, we learn to depend on the shepherd. And then the, then the, the legs are set. The leg is set so that the bone is, is in place. And then it's, it's wrapped with a splint. And then it has to stay close to the shepherd, right next to his voice, right next to the warmth of his body. And church... For me, that's Teen Challenge. Right next to the shepherd. Next to the warmth of who he is as my God and Savior. His voice in my ear. Me learning to stand on my own again for 13 months. And then when finally enough, enough pressure can be placed back on that leg, I've then learned to become dependent upon that shepherd. You see, he tells the story of the sheep. But then he goes further, as if that's not enough. But you see, God's love is, is multifaceted. It's like walking around a prism and getting different shades of light. Then he goes on to talk, tell a story about a coin. This coin has gone missing and this woman is looking for this coin. Have you ever lost something and you just knew where you put it? I knew I put it right there and it drives you insane. I need a few things to function during the day. My keys, my wallet, and my cell phone. I'm always feeling. I know exactly where they're supposed to be. One day my keys went missing. Looked desperately throughout the house. Kind of the same act of, of looking desperately through things and flipping over couch cushions and finding chicken McNuggets from a year ago. If the power grid ever goes down, I can survive by the food in my couch alone. <laughs> Preppers take that. So everything is flipped over and looking frantically. You almost go a little insane when you're in that process, don't you? You're just, I know I put it there. I'm losing my mind. And you're flipping through things. And Well, I lost my keys that day. I had to have a new set made about a week later. Well, it, fi it finally 
comes to uh, my understanding that my keys have been discovered and they were discovered inside of a little purse. And the purse was inside of a My Little Pony backpack. And the My Little Pony backpack was inside of a toy chest. I would have never been able to find it. J.L. Daisy, oh, beautiful little girl. She's, uh, she's getting older now, but at that time, she loved to hide things from dad. It was like hide and seek and, and taking the things that I needed the most and hiding them. Well, that kind of gives us the idea. See, Jesus understood and he spoke in common terms because we know what it means to lose something. And what he's saying is here, this woman has lost something of great value. This coin was very substantial in, their, in, in her life. It would supply for their family food and sustenance and, and paying the, the, the rent and all of those things. And so the Bible says she takes the house, everything out of the house. Now, we can't quite understand that because we have a lot more things than they had in that day. But she takes everything out of the house, takes a broom and sweeps it so that every nook and cranny can be explored for that coin. What is God trying to tell us by this? If you are his, you are his. And he will sweep the earth for you. The psalmist David said it like this. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee? He even goes so far as to say, if I descend into Hades itself, you are there. Remember, church, we're talking about the rescue of our Savior. Yes, and the the sheep that was found and brought back to, to depend on his Savior. But then this, this coin that he desperately looked for, he he's ripped the house apart to find. He will sweep the earth for you, church. He loves you that much. You're of that much value to him. And this is what's going on behind the scenes. Yes, we come to Christ. But he draws us. He seeks us to the end of the earth. He relentlessly pursues those who are lost. You see, I was a church kid. I knew what it meant to be a Christian, but I didn't want it. But no matter how far I went, no matter what state line I crossed, he was already there, pleading with me, chasing me, searching and finding me. And lastly, the all too familiar story here, the most famous of these parables is the parable of the lost son. We know it as the prodigal son. We see in verse 13 that this prodigal son, he sells all that he has. He takes the inheritance that the father has given him and he goes and he, he squanders that. Every bit of his inheritance. He wants to do it on his own. He's not happy anymore with the confines of the father's house and his rules, but rather he goes out on his own. And in verse 13, we find that he is in, he is wasted. The Bible says he has wasted this, this inheritance. Addiction is one of waste of jobs, of money, of families, of spouses. Verse 14, we find that he is in want. This is the crazy thing that even after all this spending, there was nothing to show for it. Let me tell you about spending. How about $30,000 in crack cocaine in six months? 
That was my life. And at the end of that six months, you, you would think there would be a down payment on a home or possibly a new vehicle or maybe a Harley. I've always wanted one. But no, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because that is the life of addiction is one of spending, 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 and no, having no return on that spending. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. It leaves you empty inside, broken and destroyed. I describe it as if your soul had been turned inside out and you can't feel anymore. One thing that I, that I am glad that I have back is the fact that I can weep. Because in addiction, you can't even have emotion. It steals tears. It steals sincerity. Matter of fact, you put it on to, to take advantage of people. And it means nothing anymore. That's the, the bottom of the barrel. The wasting of that inheritance. And at the end of it, he's in want. Has nothing to show for it. Verse 16 says that no one gave him anything. I don't know that there's a better story kind of chronicling the, the process of an, of an addict. Because once you spend all your money and you have none, no one is there. Because the friends that you've surrounded yourself with don't care about you. And the family that you have isolated yourself against is far away because you've pushed them there. Waste, want, and no one gave him anything. He had reached the bottom. Sin will take you somewhere you never thought you would go. Here is a Jewish boy. Jesus is sharing this story to law-abiding Jews. A Jewish boy who finds himself at the bottom of his barrel feeding pigs. Swine, in the, in the Hebrew faith, in Judaism, it, it is a repulsive thing. You don't have to have any, any dealings with swine. So Jesus goes to the worst thing he can go to. Okay, not only has this boy wasted everything, he's took an inheritance, he's wasted it, he's squandered it, and now he's feeding pigs. You think he was trying to say something? You think by chance in that day and age, in that culture, he was trying to tell them something? Absolutely. He was trying to take them to the very bottom. Here's this Jewish boy feeding pigs, and it says that he would gladly fill his belly with the pods that the swine did eat. What was he saying? He's saying the pigs are better off than him. Could you take it any lower? Absolutely, Jesus does. Because then we see that the, the, the boy, he, he comes to himself somewhat. And he says, There's, is there not enough bread in my father's house? Okay, so his motivation is bread. So not only is he feeding pigs, he's at the bottom of the barrel, but he's not coming back to the father for anything noble. It has nothing to do with some great decision. He's hungry. He just wants something to eat, and he doesn't want to eat like he has been because pigs are eating better than him. Mm. So Jesus takes it to that place, and here he is, a boy with nothing, and his motivation in coming back to the Father is food. That's it. Nothing noble. This is the beauty. Here is this boy at the bottom of himself. He has found himself feeding pigs. He squandered everything. 
His motivation is not good coming back to the father. So here he is. He's walking down the road. He's getting close to his father's house. His father sees him afar off and recognizes his boy and a distance away. Notice his walk. That's my boy. Now here's this boy, stinking of pig, horrible motives. He's not running. He just wants something to eat. Really, he just wants something from the father. He doesn't say that he's 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 sorry. And here he is walking, and the father sees him, and it doesn't matter. Jesus is trying to communicate something here in this story. None of that mattered. It was his boy, his son. He sees him, and he runs. And for Jewish fathers, there would be one to stand and wait for that son to come. Matter of fact, that would be kind of disgraceful for that that Jewish father to to just run full force. A matter of fact, his dignity would require him to stand and, and receive his son and talk to him. But instead, Jesus gives the story of this Jewish man, this father, who has done nothing wrong, recognizing his boy, and he sprints toward him. And when he comes closer and closer and he sees the state of him, he doesn't stop. He continues to run to him. And when he comes next to him, he doesn't step back as earthly fathers would. Matter of fact, you would think that you could recognize the posture of most people if they see their son and there their son is walking. You see your father and there he is. Here he comes. I wonder if he's got anything left. I wonder if he's, wonder if he's got anything to show for it. I wonder if he has an apology in his heart or if he's sorry for what he did. You could see it just alone in the posture, but none of that. Sees his boy, recognizes him, runs to him. And when he approaches him, even seeing how he is, how he's prepared and brought himself and smelling him, he embraces him. Church, it is the embrace that changed him. Because I came to him with nothing but bad motives. But a ripped apart heart and a life of addiction and decay and shambles. Ashes. He embraced. And I love him. Not because I chose to. But because he first loved me. And he gave his life as a ransom for me. You see, he embraced and I was changed by the embrace and I therefore embraced and got to a place in my life where I was sorry. I was repentant. The beauty of the story is, church, is we see from the eyes of God. Now, you may have been a Bible-believing church attender your entire life. It doesn't change the fact that all of those stories apply to you. Because all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's like that filthy pig's pen. It's nothing. You see, he pursued us. He ripped the house apart and he found us. He went for that one lost sheep and caused him to be dependent upon the shepherd again. And he embraces the son, brings him back into the home, puts a ring on his finger, a robe. And then he ends the story here in closing. He ends it with the story of the self-righteous brother. 
What was Jesus doing? Well, he was drawing on that first issue. Who who was the self-righteous brother? Well, the Pharisees, Sadducees, those who were accusing Jesus of receiving and eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was basically telling them this is God's approach to sinful man. This is broken man approaching God. And this is self-righteous indignation. This is the self-righteous man. And the brother is the one who sees his, his brother come back in. Instead of embracing him, he becomes upset and he begins to grumble and complain and say, I've been with you this entire time. You haven't killed the fatted calf for me. Where is the celebration? And to be honest with you, that's a pretty good argument. But it doesn't float with God. Because he expects so much more. You see, I don't know where you, you, you are placed in this scenario if you understand the, the extravagant grace and love and mercy of the one who seeks us, finds us, changes us by his embrace. But church, our faith is real. It is one that takes addicts and transforms them some, to something completely different. You see, out of my graduating class, the class of 1996 challenge, we have multiple ministers. My friend Steve, who was playing on keys today, a graduate in, in the same class that I was in, and a faithful father and, and husband and a minister in his church. And we have youth pastors. We have a local firefighter in the, the Lawton Fort Sill area that's also a youth pastor. So many people that have been changed. And the beauty is this, that he gives beauty for ashes. You see, that's all we gave him to work with. Ashes. But he takes ashes and he makes something beautiful. Thank you, church, for, for hearing us today, for hearing about the ministry of Teen Challenge, what it does individually in our lives, and the perspective of a God who extravagantly loves us and pursues us to the ends of the earth. Thank you so much. Amen. You know, I'd love to stand up here and just say anything, but my words just won't work. Um, I'm going to let that stand. As the guys come up here to lead us in our closing time, we're going to pass these baskets around. It's just going to be a cash-only love offering that we're going to send back. These guys travel on their own. Um, They pay for their own fuel. They do all that. We're just going to pass them around. If if you want to, if you don't, no sweat at all. No big deal. Um, But just a cash-only. They're going to go out with everything that we send with them today. Not as a token of feeling, uh, you know, we're, we feel guilty, but more saying, man, God is so good, and we're honored that you would come here to be with us, to tell us about the God that is, that is our God. So, pretty awesome stuff. So, I'm going to pass these around as we close in worship. Uh, if you can't find them, it'll be back on the back table. Just uh, drop it in there, but don't put it in the offering, normal offering basket. Uh, gets, that'll get confused. This all goes straight to them. Um, take a moment, fill out one of those cards. Obviously, these guys need to eat steak dinner, so... Uh, awesome stuff. Let's, uh, let's cl- close our time together by standing and celebrating the God who's